Hello everyone, my name is Reese Karlinski and this is Young History, episode 59 on the Gambia. The capital of this country is Banjul and the country is named for the Gambia River that makes up most of the border. The country is pretty much just the Gambia River with a couple miles of land occupied by the country in each direction. So the geography is super weird, especially if you look at Senegal, it kind of just has this part carved right out of its borders. And another thing is that the the, like the word the in Gambia, is capitalized because it symbolizes the transition from being a colonial protectorate to the republic that it is today. And it's also the smallest continent, I'm sorry, the smallest country on the African continent, and it's a majority Muslim country. It's been having a lot of jumps in recent years for rights for women, as despite it being a Muslim country, women aren't forced to wear hijabs or abayas at all. But they do commonly wear the dresses that leave kind of arms and collarbone exposed, which is unique to this area, composed to as opposed to a lot of parts outside of Africa outside of this country in Africa. So that was kind of what I wanted to open with, didn't want to say too much. I kind of just want to get right into it. So this country is, despite being very small, very, very interesting. So I'm not going to dilly-dally too much longer. I just wanted to say thank you guys for being here. One more time, my name is Reese Karlinski. This is Young History, and this is The Gambia. Let's do this thing. The origins of the people who first occupied this land is really a big mystery, but the belief is that the first people here were either the Jolo or Wolof people. This is believed because of the megaliths that are here, and they left behind a lot of them. So that's pretty much as far as the evidence for support of those people who being here goes. But the next thing we know for sure is that the Kingdom of Ghana ruled for a long time, as well as the Songhai Empire. But the Kingdom of Ghana fell in the 12th century. This ended up leading to the Mandinka people moving west from Mali into the area of the Gambia. And currently, the Mandinka are the majority ethnic group in the country. A power vacuum formed after the Kingdom of Ghana fell, and the Mali Empire took advantage of this and ended up taking this land. Arabs arrived in the 12th century so that they could truly take influence over the slave and ivory trade within the region. And as time went on, where more and more Arabic people came into the land, their religion started to sink into the culture of the people, and it became clear that Islam had found a really good home in the Gambia. Another major people group here in the country is the Wolof people, and their Wolof kingdom controlled pretty much everything from the northern border of Senegal to like the start of the Gambia River, so a lot of the people descended from this empire that are currently in the country today, and brought a lot of clashes with Islam as the Wolof people didn't fully accept Islam, or at least most of them didn't, and this caused a lot of fights to break out within the country. And the empire of the Wolof Kingdom actually fell in the 19th century. The Portuguese arrived in the 5th century, and they made outposts that didn't last very long. They were the first Europeans to leave influence on the land, and the name Gambia actually came from the Portuguese, where they called the area Acambio, since it was mostly used as a missionary river. The British were sold the rights of the river and surrounding land by the Portuguese. This would lead to a big clash between the British and French, which would start in the 16th century, as both nations were trying to establish presence in the area. In the 18th century, the French had established a holding on the Senegal region north of the Gambia, so that made their, this meant that they were really, really close to taking over parts of the Gambia and really sinking their claws in. And then during the Seven Years' War, which is the war that happened right before the American Revolution between Britain and France, Britain actually had a lot of favor in this war and ended up winning, and they took over the region from the French and made it the Senegambia Crown Colony. The French actually moved back in in 1779 during the American Revolution because Britain was well-occupied fighting in the U.S., and the Treaty of Versailles in 1783 actually established that France would have the Senegal River region and the British would pretty much have control of just the Gambia River region. In 1816, the British sent a man named Alexander Grant to establish a good foothold in the Gambia so that the British could actually use their navy to better control the slave trade. 
and the shape of the Gambia actually made it really easy to collect slaves and enslave people and send them away because it goes so inland compared to many other rivers and as such an easy straight in straight out access to the ocean it made coming into this land really easy. Slavery was also facilitated here because the Wolof tribe had actually already been using a lot of slaving practices in this area. So slave demand was really high and it led to more Gambians moving inland to collect people to sell to Europeans. So it was a big mix of both the Europeans doing it and the Wolof culture already kind of encouraging and using slavery as part of its economy and backbone. Banjul Island was actually purchased from the King Suling Jada from the Kingdom of Combo, and the town of Bathurst was established near the ocean, and eventually Bathurst became the capital, which is now today named Banjul. King Jada then ceded an extra one-mile strip of land on the northern Gambia River. British advanced on from here and took over all of the Gambia. The slave trade was abolished by the British in 1807, and they began to patrol the area and stop slave ships from actually traveling into this region or into other regions of West Africa. Many slaves were freed into the Gambia. That's why there's such a mix of ethnic populations here. People, people caught from different areas were all released in the Gambia. And the land of the Gambia was actually incorporated into the British West Africa colony from 1822 until 1843. In 1843, it was actually made its own British colony, and that lasted until 1866. And the biggest thing with this land was, for a long time, of course, the slave trade, and that's why it was fought over so heavily. But as slavery started to be abolished and made illegal, the land was actually praised heavily for its ability to grow groundnuts or peanuts. And this happened because the Portuguese actually introduced the nut to this land, and the soil and the way the Gambia is shaped helped these nuts grow really, really well. And the Senegal actually got, and Senegal actually got its independence in 1960 as part of the Mali Federation. And the independence came for the Gambia in 1965. The Gambia gained independence from Britain and became a sovereign nation. And after independence directly happened, the country's first president was Sir Jawara. Things were good for a while, and the country was making improvements as an independent but very, very small nation. Until the coup of 1981 happened, a violent coup happened, and it shook up the country with the intent of removing Jawara from power. But with help from the Senegalese military, the coup was actually crushed, and this led to a lot of talk between Senegal and the Gambia actually uniting, especially because their borders are so intertwined. And this ended up happening in the 1980s. Senegal and the Gambia united as part of the Senegambia Confederation, which had all their affairs aligned as one nation except for a separate economy and military for the two of them. And Gambians actually feared they would lose power in the government as they were the minority people group. And that, as well as bad communication and no real benefit from being together, the confederation was broken in 1989. And then post-separation... The Gambia experienced relative stability and economic growth with a lot of things moving towards being an agricultural and tourist area, but that was disrupted by another coup. This coup was in 1994, and the government was overthrown under the leadership of one of the former military leaders within the country, which was Yaha Jameh. His dictatorship was marked by many human rights abuses, economic decline, and a lot of political instability. In 1996, a coalition of opposition parties staged a successful counter-coup which led to the restoration of a more democratic rule, and eventually they were able to try and push for Jamey being exiled from the country. The country faced economic problems because food and fuel shortages started to occur. The government reached out to other nations for foreign aid, but didn't go well because almost no other nations replied, and they really didn't want to help the small nation. And things would be really bad for a long time. It would lead to a lot of the issues we see with Gambia today, which is high poverty rates, low access to water and electricity, things of the sort. And... This was kind of the common setting of what things were like in the Gambia for the early 2000s. And that pretty much leads us to 2016, where an election is happening. And Yahya Jame was still in power and still was holding elections and winning elections year after year. 
despite there being the human rights abuses against him and accusations of genocide and things of the sort. Jamei was really still trying to hold on to power by cutting internet connection from his opposition, but this didn't stop change from happening. A man named Adama Burrell was supported widely by many different political parties who actually united to take down Jamei. And a big thing about Barrow was that he vowed that he would only serve a three-year term. And this gave people a lot of hope that there would be much more democracy, as Jamei had now been holding the position for decades and doing horrible things with the power of controlling the country. So Barrow had a lot of good things going for him on what he was proposing. So he did, it, he did end up winning, but it wouldn't be that easy. Jamei resisted the results of the election, and he would try to keep himself in office for a long time, for many months there. The transition of power couldn't happen, and the results of the election had to be continuously postponed because Jamei wouldn't let go of power. At first, he was open to it, but then he said that the election was rigged and things of that sort. But eventually, the military of the economic community of West Africa came cracking down on Jamei because he refused to leave office, and it started to get very violent. And rule was eventually transitioned to Barrow after the elections were deemed fair and Jamei was removed. Barrow had good plans in mind as he tried to implement more dem democratic policies throughout his rule, such as forming a constitution committee. But after Barrow decided to extend his reign to five years after only saying he would do three, it led to some protests in 2019 because people started to fear that similar things would happen, such as the power going to his head like it did with Jamei, and that was the last thing any of the people wanted. And in 2022, Barrow started his second term as president. Overall, he is supported by Gambians. But like I said, they are still very fearful that he could end up like Jamei. And speaking of Jamei, a committee of investigators in the Gambia actually just proved that the captain under Jamei raped, killed, and tortured many members of the opposition and citizens of Gambia during his rule. So the hope is that they can bring him to justice at some point soon. And we were just talking about elections. I think that's interesting with the Gambia is that their elections are done very differently to address the fact that there are literacy rates and literacy rate issues in the country because of different economic struggles like there being lack of funding for schools and things of the sort and people living below the poverty line they actually take metal tins and kind of put them over holes in the ground and people take marbles and roll them into the candidate they want to vote for so it's demonstrated with a picture or the person who's an official of the election saying, oh, this vote is, like, if you put it in here, it's for this person. You put it in here for this person. So people don't need to read or do anything complicated, like sign ballot names or anything. They just drop their marble in, and that counts as a vote. So with all that, that pretty much gets us to the present, where the country has a growing tourism industry with a focus on ecotourism and cultural heritage. Despite some of these positive developments, however, the Gambia still faces significant challenges, including poverty, corruption, and limited access to the basic services that most people need, such as healthcare and education. The country is ranked as low on the Human Development Index, but there is hope for improvement because of this tourist attraction era coming in and a lot of it growing post-COVID. However, the biggest issue the country faces is that 50% of the population is currently unable to access electricity, and 70% of the country do not have access to clean drinking water. So very little actual human basic needs are being met by this country and its government, but things are starting to work towards a hopefully better place after the long and terrible rule of Jamei. But that is all we know for now. So with that, I want to wrap it up and kind of do what I always like to do, which is like a mindset or a takeaway. And for the Gambia, that is no matter what disadvantages you may think you have or do have in any situation, do not give up and continue to push forward. This one is simple. The Gambia is one of the smallest nations in the world. It is the smallest nation on the mainland of Africa. But despite that, it has maintained its independence and avoided being swallowed up by the Senegal, Mali, or any other country nearby. And the way you can apply it to yourself is you're going to be thrown a certain deck of cards in life. You get handed a set of genetics that give you the way you look, the height you are, some 
different prepositions to physical things, all sorts of things like that. And that could put you on a certain path, but you may have a dream that conflicts with what you have, the hand you've been dealt, all sorts of things like that. Or you may just want a situation to change despite what you were dealt. You just have to do it. It's going to be a long path. There's going to be things that make you, that make your disadvantages feel very highlighted, but that's just how it goes. There's going to be tough situations and some people are inclined to be better at some things. And if you want to do something that you don't have the inherent the inherent advantage in, if it's something like basketball, which is a very height-focused sport, and you are short, realistically, things are going to be very brutal for you. But overall, you can just try your best, keep pushing forward, and see what happens. So just like the Gambia, don't give up no matter what disadvantages or size issues you have. So thank you guys so much for being here. Um, just going to wrap this one up quick and say that the Gambia was small nation but had a lot to offer and covers a lot of different cultural histories and European influences, influences that came into the land. So I'm going to wrap it up here and just say one more time, my name is Reese Karlinski. This was Young History, and that was the Gambia. Thank you. Thank you.